Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we get ready to come to your holy word, where you will feed us, we give you praise for what we've just heard. It's more than just a beautiful piece of music. It's the truth. It reveals what your scriptures have told us. Thinking of Moses and Joshua to follow, you told Moses to tell Joshua that you were leading him, that you were with him, that you will never forsake him. Father, that promise which was given to him is a promise for your people. And today you are leading us. You are with us. You've promised to never forsake us. Oh Lord, let that not be lost on us. To think even for a moment that you've led us to this place at this time to hear these words, to see again your glory and the good news of the gospel. So we ask you to do what only you can do, to open our ears, to open our eyes, to cause our hearts to be softened by your holy word and spirit, cause our minds to think rightly, that we would leave this place made different, made more like our savior, with deeper affection, greater zeal, greater hope, much greater peace. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Before I invite you uh, to stand for the reading of this text, I wanna explain what's happening in the text so that you can see what's going on around it because it's really amazing. When we come to the miracles of Jesus, and this one particularly because it's only included in the Gospel of Mark, it's easy just to focus on the power of God to deliver people, the power of Jesus, who is God, to, to do things that no one else could do. And that's important to see, and it certainly causes us to bring him glory. But there's often much more taking place. There's much more that the author, who was carried along by the Spirit, in this case it's Mark, probably writing for Peter, that they're trying to help us see. For example, what's gonna follow this miracle is another feeding. Jesus has already fed 5,000. Next, he's going to feed 4,000. After he feeds 4,000, the disciples are going to get on the boat. And as they get on the boat, they're going to get into an argument. And the argument is going to be centered on who forgot to bring bread. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus just demonstrated again with a few elements, fish and bread, that he could feed the masses to the point where they would have abundance more left over. And those disciples arguing on the boat were the very ones who picked those elements up. And now on the boat, they're saying, who forgot to bring bread? Why'd you forget? It wasn't my job, it was yours. And then Jesus is gonna say, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And then Jesus is gonna say, you see, but don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. Then he's going to do a miracle, another miracle. And this time it's gonna be the touching of a man who can't see, he's blind. And when he touches the man, he will ask him, what do you see? And the man's going to say, I see people, but they look like trees. In other words, his vision has not been fully restored. He sees, but he doesn't see. And Jesus will touch him again, and he will see clearly. That is the bookend to this miracle, where before Jesus goes to the 4,000, He's going to touch a man who cannot hear, and he's going to touch a man who cannot speak, setting the stage for the climax in the central part of Mark, where Jesus is saying, you hear but don't hear, you see but don't see. 
Let's stand. For the reading of God's word, it's printed in your bulletin. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I want you to imagine for a moment that as you entered the sanctuary today, there was a bit of a commotion out on the steps. And it wasn't a, a dangerous commotion, but you could tell there was a lot of people gathering around because someone was speaking. The person speaking didn't have on a robe. They didn't look like they had any authority, but they had a story to tell. And what the story was is that during the nine o'clock hour, they entered the sanctuary unable to hear anything because they were deaf. They came with a friend, but to them, everything was deaf. There was no one signing. There was nothing they could hear. But somehow in that hour, God had healed them. And others were witnessing that because they knew they were deaf. And they're standing on those steps, and they're speaking plainly. And they're, they're, they're just astonished, utterly astonished, because they now can hear things they couldn't hear. Imagine what that might do to our morning. Imagine what that might do to your life. Friends, that didn't happen. But this morning, people who were deaf spiritually left hearing. People who were blind spiritually left seeing. People who were worshiping with us online heard things they'd never heard before and saw things they'd never seen. And their life was changed forever because of what God did and what only God can do. We move too fast. We don't set in stories long enough to see the miraculous reality of what the gospel is doing. Jesus is not just healing this man to heal this man. He's healing this man of his deafness to show how others are still deaf. He's healing people of blindness to show how others are still blind. He's working to open hearts that have grown hard and minds that have grown distracted. He has the ability to create zeal in believers who are not very zealous. He does that work and only he can do it. The story that you just heard really happened. We believe in this church and the holy word of God from beginning to end, and it's all his. It's his word, God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We believe it's alive. We believe that when we read it, things happen to us through the work of the spirit. We see things we hadn't seen before, and I promise you'll see things you haven't seen before if you're asking God to give you sight. I'm asking God to do that for you and for me. This man, lived in the same area that the demoniac lived. You remember the demoniac, I preached this before Christmas, 
who had legion, many, many demons in him. Those demons were cast into the pigs. The people saw what happened and they begged Jesus to leave while the man who was healed begged Jesus to take him with him. Jesus said no. Jesus has gone on a long journey about 120 miles in an arc north into the east. Now he's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee and he's at the exact same place. And as has become the reality, people are beginning to bring people to Jesus that have needs. But here's what you can't miss. As these friends went after their deaf mute friend, he couldn't hear anything. He was deaf. So as they come to him, knowing that Jesus has now appeared, picture the scene. Picture one of them who had the idea, Jesus is here, let's take him to him. But the man can't hear anything. How are they communicating to him? What are they saying about Jesus? What's the verbal communication that he can't hear? What's the nonverbal communication to him that he might not understand? We don't know. But we know that this group of friends grabbed this man that could not hear, who could not speak, and they led him to Jesus. It's the first thing I want you to see. The people that God rescues and heals and delivers from sin and oppression, who gives eternal life, his ordinary means is using others to bring them to him. Look at the text, it says, Verse 32, and they brought to him, that's Jesus, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. This morning as we go through the text, I want you to watch for what needs to be seen and listen for what needs to be heard. Jesus is on the shore, he's moving up, when suddenly, this group of friends, these individuals, bring this deaf man to Jesus. And what do they do? They beg Jesus to touch him. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, I want you to, for a minute, just to pause. And whether you're, you're five or 55 or 85, I want you to think for a moment, and children, you can do this too. Who brought you to Jesus? Who was begging Jesus to save you? Your parents, your Sunday school teachers, a youth pastor, a camp counselor, a teacher, an aunt, an uncle, a sister, a neighbor. Someone, if you're in Christ, was used by God to bring you to Jesus. It might have been an author. And I guarantee you somewhere in that book, if it's a Christian book, the author has said, this is what I'm praying for you. Friends, somebody brought you, if you're in Christ, to Jesus. Somebody might have brought you today that you could hear these very words. Think about that. Think about who it was that God used through the powerful work of his spirit to open your ears and open your eyes to cause your dead heart to beat for him. Give God praise for them, their faithfulness in your life. Now I wanna ask you another question. If you're in Christ, who are you bringing? Who are you begging God to save? 
Who are you begging God to have their ears open, their eyes open, their heart to beat, their mind to think rightly about sin and our Savior? Your list should be present in your mind. Children, your neighbors, family members, coworkers, think about it. Who are you bringing to Jesus? And who are you begging God to save? Friends, that's normative for the believer. This should be such an ordinary part of our life because it's in Jesus alone that we have salvation. So what happens? These individuals hear that Jesus has returned. These individuals know that their friend needs healing. There's no other hope. They talk to one another. They grab this deaf man. They lead this deaf mute man all the way to Jesus. And he can't hear a thing. He's just along for the ride. What does he understand? I don't know. But he can't hear anything. He watches though, and maybe he can read lips, and he sees his friends that have brought him to the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus to heal him, to touch him. So what are we gonna see? First, look with me at verse 33. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. So what do we see? First, we see that Jesus listened to them. They begged Jesus to touch him, and he responds. They begged Jesus to touch him, and he responds. What he does is very interesting. He takes him aside from the crowd privately. There's something really important there. Being removed from our crowd, from our group of friends, sometimes even friends in a church or what might be called a church, sometimes we gotta move away from the crowd to truly hear and see the real Jesus. Jesus wants to make sure he's not misunderstood. He takes this individual aside, showing his personal, intimate care for this individual soul. What else do we see? He enters into this man's life, and he begins to speak in the only way that this man can understand him. He uses sign language. The man can't hear him. And so what does Jesus do? He takes his hands and he touches his ears. He spits and he touches the man's tongue. Children, that's kind of gross, isn't it? Jesus spits and he touches the man's tongue. What he's saying in this nonverbal but physical communication is, I know what's wrong with you. Jesus didn't do each miracle the same way. Jesus could have, as those people begged him, could have said, your prayers, your begging has been answered. Friend, be opened. And his mouth 
and his ears could have been opened instantly, and he could have spoke praises to God. God doesn't always heal us the same way. He doesn't always rescue us the same way. Our stories are a little bit different. Some of you came to Jesus because somebody knocked on your door in the 70s, right here in Dallas, and said two questions. If you were to die tonight, and what would you say? And you accepted Christ and have been following him since. Others of you might have been reading C.S. Lewis, or might have been a Bible study in college. Some of you was in VBS when you were really little, or with your parents beside your bed when you were five. The same God saves. The same message is proclaimed. The same spirit is at work, but how he does it varies. That's what's beautiful about the gospel. In this case, Jesus takes the man, he moves him from the crowd, he enters into his life speaking the only language that he could understand. Jesus spoke to him in a language he could understand by using these signs. Sinclair Ferguson says his sign language was an, in a sense an acted parable of his incarnation. He entered into the man's world of silence and spoke the only language he could understand. Jesus has entered into our world of silence and even now is speaking the only language we could understand. And if you're in Christ, someone brought you to hear that. And at some point in your life, you said, I believe. Jesus Christ touches the man's ears. He spits on his hands and touches the man's tongue. That's what we see. Now what do we hear? Verse 34, looking up to heaven. We see that too, don't we? That's important. Don't let me miss this. They saw him take the man aside. They saw him touch his ears. They saw him touch his tongue. And then the deaf man saw him lift his eyes to heaven. And that's important because what Jesus is showing him before he can hear is that this isn't magic. This is from above. This is from God the Father who is moving through me. He's my power. Don't miss that. So this is what we see. Now what do we hear? Verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. Verse 35, and his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. It really happened. There was a man brought by his friends who was deaf and could not speak. We don't know if he was born deaf. We don't know if he became deaf through illness or trauma at some point in his life. But what we know is he could not hear anything and his speech was not clear and Jesus healed him. He said, be opened. And the man's ears were opened and his tongue was able to speak clearly. But if you look closely, you hear something else. And that's the sigh of God. Back to verse 34. And looking up to heaven, 
he sighed. In the Gospel of Mark, he moves swiftly and he gives a lot of detail. Graphics. But he doesn't speak a lot about the emotional life of Jesus. But in this miracle, he's seeking to make a great point. Touching the man's ears, that's what we see. Touching the man's tongue with the spit, that's what we see. Looking up to heaven, that's what we see. We hear before he says, be opened, a sigh. The sigh signifies two things for sure. One is the sorrow that Christ has for this fallen, sin-stained world in which he's come to save and redeem his people. This man's life, impacted by the fall, this man's disease or birth defect, whatever it is that kept him from hearing is a, is a part of the fall, a broken world where this man's life would have been deeply impacted by this. Many would have perhaps thought he was just a demoniac like the one man Jesus had delivered. His isolation could have been profound. Just living in a world where you can't hear anything, not nature, not the Sea of Galilee rolling against the shore, not children laughing, not cries, nothing. Jesus has such sorrow for the world and the broken condition that exists. Jesus has such sorrow for us too, for we still live in a world, this side of heaven, that is deeply impacted by the fall, where children are tempted in so many ways and challenged with so many things. Anxiety is swelling, depression is soaring. The images coming at them at such young ages are not like anything I had to battle. Parents are struggling to know how to lead. Loved ones are getting sick. Some of you are caring for elderly parents that are very ill. And some of you are grieving those who have recently died, young and old. Jesus sighs because he has deep sorrow over the fallenness and brokenness of this world. And he sighs because he has sympathy. He has compassion. Mom and dad, he cares deeply about your struggles. Grandparents, he cares deeply about how this world has changed so swiftly from what you once knew. Regardless of the generation that you find yourself in, the stain of the world is real. The stain of sin is great. And it's always been that way since the fall. I wanna show you something that's pretty amazing. The word in the Greek that defines this man's condition is only used here once in the New Testament. The only other time it's used in the whole Bible is in the Old Testament translation into the Greek, which is called the Septuagint. And it comes from a place in Isaiah where Isaiah is prophesying about the condition of the world as it relates to sin. Now I want you to listen and I want you to see. I don't want you to turn to your Bible right now, I want you just to listen. It's how people would have heard it the first time. And I want you to go home later and open Isaiah. 
open to Isaiah 34 and 35, but just listen. I'm gonna read a few verses. Draw near, O nations, to hear. It's a big theme, isn't it? Give attention, O peoples. What Isaiah is saying is what you and I need to hear. Listen, pay attention. This is important. You hear, but you don't hear. You see, but you don't see. Because judgment from God, which is justified, because he's holy, is about to come against his people and other nations. Listen to what Isaiah says. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. All right, that's just four verses in a whole chapter that speaks to the coming judgment and righteousness of God. But God is a God of mercy and grace, which friends, you need to remember, is always undeserved. And Isaiah 35 changes. It reveals to us in 34 the condition of the world and the righteousness of God, but now comes mercy undeserved, grace undeserved, and listen to what Isaiah says, 35.1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Verse three, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, they had anxious hearts back then. Do you? Don't we? Are we less anxious than the world? I don't think we are. Friends, listen to what is about to be offered to us. Listen to what is about to be offered to us. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Now listen. You might be wondering why are we going to the Old Testament? Listen, the only other time in the Bible the same word used to describe this man's deafness and muteness is used here in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And this is what Isaiah said. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In other words, for all who are mine, it is going to be well with their soul. For all who are mine, we're going to be safe for all eternity. This is a prophecy and a promise. And now, thousands of years later, this prophecy is being fulfilled. 
as Jesus, the Son of God, using sign language, touches a man's ears that he's pulled away from the crowd, spits on his hands and touches his tongues, and says, Ephrathatha, be opened, and they are the ones begging Jesus to touch him. The deaf men can now hear their voices. When the deaf man returns to the crowd, he can now speak of what just happened. Jesus tells them not to speak of it. He had his reasons, but they couldn't stop. They wouldn't stop because they were utterly astonished. And what did they say as the news traveled? He does all things well, which is true. His blood can make the foulest clean. He does all things well. He can cause people who were spiritually blind and spiritually deaf and spiritually dead to come to life as new creations. But the reason Jesus was hammering the point that you see and don't see and hear and don't hear is because his disciples could not comprehend his mission. That soon he would tell them that he was going to die. In order to save his people, he would be the sacrifice. So here's what happened. I want you to see it and I want you to hear it. Unless you see and hear it will never be well with your soul. The same God who looked up to heaven, the same God whose hands touched that man's ears, whose spit went on that man's tongue, that same God's hands would soon be nailed to a cross. And the same voice that that deaf man heard the first voice he heard was Jesus' voice, would hear about the crucifixion, where that same voice was heard saying, it is finished. Jesus Christ came and died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven in order to rescue his people from the sin-stained world, from our sin-stained lives. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ, right now, reigns as our king, and one day he is going to return when he does, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will spend eternity separated from him. Others will be with him forever hearing that voice, but with ears that are perfect, praising him with a tongue that is perfect. You see, the miracle that Jesus performed was also a prophecy of what's to come. That for all who are in Christ, one day, we too 
will hear perfectly, sing perfectly, speak perfectly, hear perfectly. Between now and then, even our very best, our very best will pale in comparison to what we see and hear and how we sing in heaven. This side of heaven, we are still gonna have moments where we must confess, I see, but don't see. I hear, but don't hear. My heart has grown hard. My mind is not focused on Jesus. When God himself in grace makes you aware of that, what should you do? Run to your savior. The same savior who touched this man's ears, who touched his tongue, and beg him for mercy. And if you do, you will receive it. Because this same man said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Lord, it's sometimes easy for us to forget that the very God we're speaking to and the one who's speaking on our behalf, Jesus, is the same God, the same man, who touched this man's ears. If you had not touched my tongue or the tongues of our body, our brothers and sisters in Christ, not one of us could proclaim your glory. Not one of us could cry out, rescue me. But you've done that work. Jesus, we would pray today that as we finish this time together, that you and the ways in which only you can do it would cause us to be astonished, utterly astonished, that today for your glory's sake, we would leave with one of these songs in our hearts and mind, and that we would be unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.